passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the folks and let them know. Hey, Darby, it's Jeff. I've got an idea for the match tonight. What are you thinking, Jeff? I'm thinking chairs. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite, everybody. I am John Pollock, along with Waiting. Hmm, yes, yes. Great, grateful to, um, to have a job where I get to sit down on a chair and talk into a microphone uh, instead of wrestling anything goes matches. There was, something, those two. there was something poetic about watching this match at the same time that Andrew Yang is tweeting about how wrestlers and fighters need unions and protection. It was just quite the uh, the juxtaposition uh, watching that match, right, as uh, Andrew Yang is uh, talking about uh, such a such a subject. But, dude, I... I uh, I will let everyone in on, on a secret and way, way you know this. I am a very... Uh, introverted person when i don't have a microphone in front of me i'm very quiet dude i i gasped so goddamn loud when this swanton spot happened like i thought my wife was gonna run down thinking i had like pulled like Which, fell off the couch or something well, well first of all the exact same thing happened to me oh. i was watching my my wrestling downstairs and my wife comes down and she's she's like why are you screaming so much and I want which Swanton were you talking about, John? Because- I'm talking about the the Darby Swanton onto the eight chairs mm-hmm. that like it desensitized me to the point that when Jeff did his Swanton, I was like, uh, like that that was crazy in and of itself. But after I watched the Darby one, like I seriously thought I was about to watch this man like just uh, paralyze himself. Well, they both made me gasp uh, oh, equally dude. because one was, you know, one was done by a 20 something year old. The other was done by a 40 something year old who's gone through everything with that poor body. I am so, more scared watching Jeff Hardy today than I am watching Sting doing any of this stuff. And the dude's got spinal stenosis. I, I, I pray for both those guys. man. Um, it, it was an incredible match. But, but God, like it was definitely one of those matches where I'm like. You know, I, I know this, everyone's going to say they love this match because, you know, knock on wood, they, they were fine. But dude, this, it was too much to me. And I just feel like we're going to sound like such hypocrites the day something happens and we talk about how dangerous this shit is and 
just one bad landing and someone god knows what happens to them and then we have this whole look at all of this stuff that we celebrate in the moment and i just i don't know it goes to such an extent in a match like this that like i'm watching like with bated breath that these guys are going to get up from this the, the latest stunt Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not my enjoyment level of what I get out of professional wrestling. I totally understand those that think such a spectacular thing. You marvel at it. It's spectacular. Like it looks it's breathtaking. At the same time, it's like it's not what I watch wrestling for, where I'm legitimately fearful of uh, of someone going down and not being able to get up uh, by th- by their own power. For me, it's it's more about the precedent that it sets. And I mean, we are talking about Jeff Hardy here, you know, like somebody who's responsible very much for somebody like a Darby Allen modeling uh, his current style the way that it is, taking risks the way that they are. And if we're giving these types of matches away on TV, what are the expectations for the next generation to try to top it? Um, and, you know, like even just for Jeff Hardy himself at age 40, you know, looking to top something like this, it's, uh, it's, those are the, con- like, I definitely, of course, enjoyed the match in the moment, but I mean, I can't help covering this stuff, doing my job, thinking about the repercussions of, you know, um, this style. It, I, it definitely felt like a bit too much at times tonight. Yeah, so we will we will get into all of that. There is a a ton going on, and I know that uh, you and Kate will be doing the the new show on Thursday, so we won't go uh, too heavily into things. But just a few things off the top. Um, first of all, Deadline has reported that Brett White, who was the general manager of TNT, TBS, and True TV, and very instrumental in the whole development of AEW and the expansion of AEW-related programming, uh, he is essentially out from that general manager role, seems to be a casualty of the Warner Media Discovery merger, and Deadline was the one that reported this, uh, noting that he is leaving as GM of TNT, TBS, and True TV. He'll be transitioning out of the role over the next 30 days, with his last day marking his 14th anniversary on the T-Nets, as they call them. Uh, White's departure comes week, weeks after this, the Discovery Warner Media merger was completed, as his position has been eliminated following the restructure of the U.S. Network's group division, and a lot of this is more so just just focused on his uh, his involvement um, just across all of those networks, but specifically they do bring up like AEW. He was also involved in the Wipeout series featuring John Cena. So again, I I don't know how much you read into this of of what it means, but you know much like when Kevin Riley left the network, uh, this is a AEW ally that you always want to have on the network side, and when there's a merger. Um, there, there's always going to be uh, those questions. You would think AEW is on pretty solid ground, um, but but it's a new story nonetheless that somebody instrumental in AEW's uh, tenure on the network is now out. Yeah, it is relevant. You know, um, I, I think you look at the, the results on the ratings that AEW has been providing for the T-Nets, as they say, um, and you wouldn't think that anything would possibly happen. But the difference is that we are talking about professional wrestling and Unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, historically, it seems to have um, a, a bit of a reputation stuck to it that some uh, executives may like and some ex- executives may totally not understand. I would hope that, you know, 20 years now deep into like, you know, this the past uh, uh, WCW, um, that attitudes towards it have changed. And again, I, I think you look at the ratings and how can anything else but, you know... Um, 
how can how can Turner look at anything but uh, with look at AEW with anything but like you know uh, success and, and and how how could they co- not covet what they have on their hands? But you really never know. And and of course, when it the, comes the WCW story, I mean, I I think it's much different this time around. But I mean, ratings were certainly on the side of WCW even even at the end. I think more more importantly, when it comes to renegotiation, and if you listen to Tony Khan's interviews today, you know him talking about possibly trying to bring bring an ROH on. How much would it would be too much wrestling for uh perhaps a new new general manager um you know that they they might feel they would be adding towards the portfolio? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, again, this, it, like, it, it's, it's worth bringing up, of course. It could be something big, could be something small, could be nothing. Um, that's, and, you know, with the upfronts coming up, there's an expectation that, like, AEW will be uh, a part of that. And I guess we will see, like, you know, if, as they are selling, um, their, their fall schedule, if AEW is kind of a big part of that, or even, even a, a minimum part of that, uh, I think that puts them in good standing when you look at, how they're performing. I mean, we look at, you know, the NBA playoffs, like TNT has the NBA playoffs and they've got AEW. So some of these nights, it's like, man, AEW is giving us another. It's like we may have uh, our Lewis Hamilton, but AEW is our Valtteri Bottas uh, to go back to our earlier discussion today. As long as you have like uh, a solid number two driver, we know who the number one is. But hey, we, we want to have a sizable number two as well. Right, right. And if you're the number two, what is your negotiation power? That's, That's the right. Question. Yes. Is there going to be a Red Bull that comes into into play that wants to negotiate? Will uh Will a Renault want to talk to AEW? These are all questions um, that are uh, at the top of everyone's mind. Uh, Tony Khan also uh, he did an interview over at TSN.ca, and um, this was a pretty newsworthy interview. Sometimes with Tony Khan, like um, it's it, it ranges. Like he will be doing a lot of media where it's it's promotion, uh, but sometimes he, he drops like a lot of things. It's TSN.ca interview. I would definitely encourage people to check out. Noted like not to expect Bret Hart coming in anytime soon. So I, I don't think he will be part of this Owen Hart presentation at all at Double or Nothing. Uh, he also stated that when it comes to All Out uh, over Labor Day weekend, he said, we're going to talk more about that. But I think one thing for sure is that from the beginning, Sh- Chicago has been an awesome market for AEW and I'm excited about doing lots of shows there. I think All Out is the biggest show we've ever done so far before on pay-per-view. And it's another one of our landmark events where we've reached our highest highs so far. We've got a great history there at the Now Arena, formerly the Sears Center, in Hoffman Estates near Schaumburg. I think we can continue that potentially. But on the other hand, there's a lot of places around the world where All Out would be a great show, and we're going to continue exploring options there. He went on to say, I really want to get up to Toronto, and now I think travel restrictions hopefully will continue to ease and make it much more possible to bring in such a large crew of people, not just wrestlers, staff, and coaches, but so many people involved in the production and backstage. With the travel and logistics involved, it's far more manageable. I think today... Then it as compared to six months ago or a year ago, um, I guess saying it's much easier. So hopefully soon we can get up to Toronto and also confirm Dave Meltzer's report that the trios championships uh, have been made uh, and apparently were made a long time ago. And he also threw in a tease that there are other championships that I have had made that nobody knows about. So very secretive. This office, he's just got uh, in his lockbox, I guess, just an endless supply of championships when when needed. So that that is at the top of everyone's want is a. Uh, more titles on this show, so whatever, sure, why not? Uh, every match can be for a championship, but yeah, I, you know, obviously, personally, selfishly, um, the the most in, in, interesting nugget of information is the potential Toronto date, um, and so he's he's saying that all out might not be Chicago, but not confirming I, that. 
Yeah, didn't outright state that, but I certainly read this to be that, you know, I, I am not earmarking all out for Chicago. It really sounds like they are looking at other places for that. It's the most uh, clear answer I, I can take from that. The weather is decent in Toronto in September around Labor Day. It's not That's so right. bad. That's going to be one of those crazy weekends with a WWE show in Wales and you got uh, all out weekend and yeah, it's going to be a very, very busy one, uh, Labor Day weekend. But you can check out that interview and Rampage. Uh, they confirmed it uh, earlier in the day. Tony Khan had mentioned it, but also all over the broadcast, 530 Eastern on Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, wrestling during the daytime for, for us. Yes. Another head to head with a Bellator who are at four Eastern uh, in London, England. Oh, what are you going to watch? Uh, I, I'll honestly be watching neither at that time. There's no way I can watch Rampage at 5.30. So my, my best bet will be uh, if I can find it before or during SmackDown, I'll be able to watch it before we record. But uh, Rampage will be tough at, at this time, but we will get through it. So let's get into a Dynamite. It was a, a loaded show from the UBS Arena on Long Island, New York. Apparently, they had like a, a sizable um, movement in tickets over the last few days uh, at last note. Uh, WrestleTix had stated around 8,000 uh, were out for the show. This was not at the level of their first show back in December, which had about uh, 9,300 paid and 9,500 in the building, uh, but not too far off. So still a strong number, I would say, for AEW. And for that matter, um, SmackDown doing uh, just below that, I believe, as well. I think they were just under 8,000 as well. So the fact that those were five days apart, um, they both drew, I would say, healthy crowds for Long Island. And we're kicking things off with the Owen Hart Cup and Adam Cole taking on Dax Harwood and in attendance, they only showed Martha on screen, but Oge and Athena, Owen's uh, children, uh, they were all there at the show tonight. Very cool. Yeah, it's the opening night of the tournament. You would expect them to be there at least uh, for this in the closing, maybe throughout. Even. So Cole and uh, Harwood start the match and Dax early on is sent sliding ribs first into the post. And this would set the tone for the match with Dax Harwood selling his ribs like every person in this building believed this man did not have another breath left. I mean, he just sold these ribs for the whole 15 and a half minutes. He looked like uh, he just did a swanton through chairs on the outside. He, he was conveying how Darby probably was feeling afterward, and Jeff for that matter, too. Uh, they trade rolling Germans. There's a slingshot sit-out powerbomb by Dax for the first near fall of the match. And then Dax... Uh, comes off for a reverse cross and gets met with a super kick in midair and both men go down. The crowd is applauding them. He blocks a Panama sunrise and then there's a flapjack and he goes for the sharpshooter. Cole stops him with an up kick and goes for another Panama sunrise, which is reversed and Dax hits that picture perfect pile driver. Crowd goes red hot as Cole kicks out and then Dax applies the sharpshooter and the place explodes and he's got it locked. But the ribs, the ribs are too painful and he's got to release the hold and he is set off the apron. And dude, this guy just plummets to the mat. He just bounces off the floor after Cole knocks him down and Dax is stumbling and he's trying to get in and he crashes down off the apron for the tease that he's going to be counted out, but makes it in at nine. And Adam Cole applies the sharpshooter in the center of the ring forcing Dax Harwood to tap to the sharpshooter in 15 minutes and 31 seconds. I thought this mm -hmm. match was terrific. Great match. Lovely match. Lovely finish. And despite the ending of the match, it was not just another masturbatory Bret Hart tribute match. 
I thought there was enough here to remind you of Sean. He teased the sweet chin music and to remind you of Britt and to remind you of Owen here. But the match to me itself was entirely Dax Harwood versus Adam Cole. And I thought it was awesome. Dax has just been tremendous. This, you know, if you want to call it a gimmick, this Bret Hart gimmick, I think has been a great way to showcase his wrestling ability as a single star. He's been captivating every single time he's been out there as a singles. The rib injury I thought was really well worked. It was really well sold. And it had a direct effect on every major spot of the match, including Dax trying to uh, do the sharpshooter but having to let go, including him doing the countout tease and then having to, you know, uh, tough his way back in. And, of course, Cole ultimately submitting him with that sharpshooter. A ton of heat for Adam Cole, the spiritual successor in AEW to Shawn Michaels, using that move, how dare he, against Bret Hart's favorite wrestler or uh, a wrestler whose favorite wrestler is Bret Hart, at least. Thoroughly enjoyed this match. It was great. Yeah, it was. There, there were some some great moments. I really loved like the sharpshooter, and then he couldn't hold on because of the ribs. The countout tease was really well done, and I really like Cole winning with the sharpshooter too. I think this will be one of those agonizing losses for Dax Harwood that's just going to eat at him on top of it, and um, it gives him something coming out of this, like this um, this loss that he put so much pressure on himself to win, and he doesn't lose. He get like this is the equivalent of like a fighter getting his biggest title fight, and he gets knocked out just brutally and it's uh, a hard loss to stomach you know this this entire run has been a net positive for ftr they are the hottest they have ever been and as baby faces no less so they are they are at this moment i believe the number one contenders uh or at least the number one ranked in the tag team division so you would think that that's where where they would be headed after this yeah, and also I guess, like, I guess they're already still they're actually champions right now, aren't they? They got the ROH hmm. and and uh, Triple A tag titles. Well, maybe we can also get like a FTR with Cole and and somebody um, at a later date too. Like you could play this out as a tag program uh, down the road, and you know, yeah. Heart Foundation and the Rockers. It's, it, wow. Okay, who's Janetti? Um, well, that will have to be, uh, hmm. whoever Cole chooses. I mean, you've got the acronym right there for FTR. I mean, they're all set. Um, uh, what do you mean? What, huh? what FTR can stand for? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, fuck the rockers. That's it. That's oh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Video for, uh, Darby and, uh, Jeff Hardy. Uh, they're both just stating how their chemistry embraces one another. This is not about exchanging headlocks. It's about getting crazy. Never has a more true statement been said to preview a match. They are more stuntmen than wrestlers. And Darby has asked Tony Khan to waive the rules. Just let us be psychotic. Guess what? Khan agreed to this. They they were psychotic. Yeah, at least they're very self-aware um, that this is not usual. And, and let's be honest, like expectations are put out there for them to do this stuff. I mean, uh, when we, if they had a straight up wrestling match, I mean, a lot of the audience would come out of this disappointed. So, uh, you know, you can argue that maybe, you know, we're to blame ultimately for, for increasing expectations this way. But yeah, they, they gave us what, what the crowd wanted. That was the line that Ric Flair had used famously in his book, calling Mick Foley a glorified stuntman. And it, that, you know, triggered their, their whole, like, uh, you know, F Foley did have some, uh, some unkind words for Ric Flair in his book, but that was, that was the big line that really triggered, uh, Mick Foley as well that I thought of during this one. Uh, we were introduced to Casey Jost and Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers on True TV. 
I think yeah. this uh, this Brian Weitz was also invo- involved in this. I think as well. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And then we go to Hangman Page, who comes out for commentary, and he is out for the CM Punk John Silver match. And out comes Punk. He's getting booed, and he's wearing a New York Islanders jersey. And the crowd is saying, "Wait a minute! Is he trying to win us back over? Is oh, because he's a babyface now, so he's got to do something to win us back." He turns his back to the camera. Motherfucker's wearing a John Tavares jersey. I'm not the biggest hockey fan, but I thought this was the greatest. I thought this was so funny. So I'm not a hockey fan whatsoever, but what is the significance of wearing a John Tavares New York Islanders jersey? John Tavares was like the guy for the New York Islanders until he realized I'm taking my talents to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he and he left. He left the Islanders. This was uh, 2018, I believe. I believe it was Canada Day 2018 that they, because I remember being at the beach. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Elliot Friedman that broke the news that Tavares was going to Toronto. And dude, like Toronto Maple Leafs Twitter, just they lost their minds. Yeah, the current captain of the Leafs, I believe. I thought this was absolutely brilliantly played because you have punk here he's wearing the islanders jersey you don't know what's going on he asks for the music to be cut and they're booing him anyway but if in case just in case they weren't he pauses and then when he does his usual turn around the crowd with his arms raised that's when you realize exactly what he was doing to rile this crowd up with that jersey so i thought it was a great move can i tell my one uh Related John Tavares story because I will never have a reason to tell this story other than this moment on this episode. So please just indulge me. Please go right ahead. So my cousin, he got married a few years ago. And when he proposed to his girlfriend, it was around like the end of June 2018 is what I'm I'm guessing it was uh, to coincide with this. So he had told like his his best friend, he's like, I'm going to ask, I'm going to propose like this weekend or something like that. And so his friend was like, you know, congratulations, whatever, whatever. Uh, Let me know how it goes. So like the two days or whatever pass. And then my cousin texts his friend like capital letters. He said yes with all these exclamation marks. And my friend is like, oh, man, he must have been so excited. He wrote, he said yes. And he wrote like, congratulations on like the proposal. And he's like, no, John Tavares joined the Leafs. (laughs) And he had forgotten. He said yes. Anyway, he was like, what about, what about the proposal? I was like, oh, yeah, she said yes to or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's the closest I have to a John Tavares story. Oh, anyway, that's great. So they are chanting back and forth. Uh, and Punk is like out in like Islanders colors too, with like his trunks and boots on top of this. The crowd is actually going back and forth at the beginning with Johnny Hungy chants and Punk. Uh, but then they just settle on booing Punk. Uh, they go through the picture in picture. Uh, Silver gets in a lot of kicks here and then hits him with a brain buster for a two count. Like this crowd was into the idea of John Silver winning this thing, as preposterous as that sounds. There's a tornado DDT off the buckle to Punk and then Punk stops the spin doctor, hits a roundhouse kick, step up knee, short arm clothesline. He's flexing to the audience and then he stares down Hangman Page from the apron while he's on commentary and you think he's going for a springboard, but no. He goes for the buckshot lariat. Unfortunately, like he plants his feet right as he lands, and dude, he whiffed 
on the lariat portion of this. I mean, and the angle it was at, I mean, he completely missed it. But nonetheless, it was the finish in 808. He, he didn't completely miss uh, it. It dude, just wasn't you, I, as smooth as, as, I as don't the think usual. He, I don't think he made contact with the arm. Really? Go back what, and watch Was it this that one. far off? It was pretty off. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe I'll have to rewatch it. But I mean, to me, Punk is not the most graceful wrestler anyway. So him, like, you know, mimicking another wrestler's move, like, I, I thought he connected. But if you're telling me he didn't, then I'll have to rewatch that. That's somewhat unfortunate. But overall, I mean, when you have a, a crowd this reactive to not just Punk, but to Silver as well. The, the match really can't help but be a success and i thought it absolutely was um not much more like johnny hungy is it has these tremendous like bursts of offense that i i feel are actually quite unique to him in this company so in this context seeing him as a single like usually it's used great very effectively for those hot tags in a tag team situation but as a single star he still got them a wonderful undersized baby face against against the very hated uh one night heel here in cm punk and i thought the match was quite successful especially the little thing at the end at least symbolically for page i i love this deal with punk in long island i hope they Continue it forever as long mm-hmm. as this guy's in AEW. Like if he ever turns heel, he should just not show up at Long Island, so they're even more pissed that he doesn't even show up. Like it was, it, they should just keep this running forever. That he, this is the one place that he hates. So, um, Page and Punk then go face to face in the ring, and it's it's all Punk responding, saying how Page took this personally, and he doesn't know why that these people don't like him. It's not personal for Punk; it's just business. I used to wake up and ask, "Are you a good guy?" But this morning I woke up and asked myself, are you the champion? And my answer was yes. I just destroyed your boy and it's the blueprint for what I'm going to do to you. And if you won't shake my hand, well, you will after double or nothing, whether you're conscious or not. And Paige just gives him the middle finger and leaves. Mm-hmm. Love this. Love this. I thought the segment was good. Match was very good as well. I thought tonight AEW and Punk really played this evening very well. You know, instead of instead of maybe trying to fight a bit, like if they if he came out as a straight up babyface, I think there was a chance that this card would have played along. But there there was a lot of chance for him at the beginning of the match, and then I think they realized the the role that they wanted here, and they pretty much went anti-punk. But I, I think you're right. I think that it wouldn't have been too hard to uh, flip this crowd if they had been dead set on doing it. I, I like, though, that they didn't. It was it, it would have been a typical punk reaction at best, but by going along with the heel factor, I think they made it a, a very special, magnificent night for CM Punk and this Hangman Page feud by extension. You know, they played into it and turned it into something far more memorable than it would have been had they been fighting against it and it respects your crowd too that you're not ignoring that you were just here five months ago and mm-hmm. he was hated and what it's just he's on to a new feud and you're supposed to forget what happened five months ago instead they are they played into like punk cut a total heel it's not like he just came out in december and was booed like he ran down the city he made fun of their hockey team it would have been disingenuous to just come out now and now he's all complimentary it was it was consistent. So I think you lean into that. And I think you kind of want both Paige and Punk to kind of go through this in the lead up. Like last week, Paige was much more heelish. This week, it was Punk that was heelish. Mm-hmm, totally. We got some confirmation in the chat room. You are right, John. He did miss, it looked like. Well, it was uh, can't hit them all, I guess. But overall, I thought this segment came off uh, pretty well with the with the reactions and the promo afterwards. But maybe he's going to retire the uh the buck shit lariat. Hmm. 
Yes. Yes. Sh- Shivani interviews Baker, Hater, and Rebel. Uh, Baker's in a Mario Lemieux shirt, and Baker has to face a Joker. And she and Hater are going to win their tournament matches and states that storms are violent and exciting when they begin, but then they pass. And tonight, the storm is going to pass. And Baker is asked if her and Hater end up having to face each other, what's going to happen? And Baker says the better female will win. Danhausen and Tony Nice. This was Danhausen's in-ring debut for AEW. Uh, and we've got Mark Sterling in the corner of Tony Nice, also in Islanders colors with his uh, suit and tie. And Sterling distracts Danhausen to avoid Nice getting cursed. And therefore, Nice capitalized, attacking him in the corner, the running Nice, and pins Danhausen in 36 seconds. Yeah, surprising. You know, surprising for such a big fan favorite to come out here and lose in 30 seconds. But I thought it was great booking. Danhausen is not the type of wrestler that needs to go on an undefeated winning streak. He's more endearing just simply as a character. He's way more endearing when he's getting beaten up and he's getting saved by Hook. That's right. And that's what this... Yeah, the match was really just the setup for afterward where Sterling gets on the microphone. He's instructing Nice to give another knee and calls Danhausen an internet meme wrestler. And as he's setting up for another running Nice, Hook comes out to a giant reaction and he sends Nice and Sterling running and him and Danhausen shake hands. Big pop for this. And then Hook takes off. And this is going to be a tag match at the buy-in for double or nothing uh, with Hookhausen against Tony Nese and Mark Sterling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought actually all of this was quite brilliant. It got Tony Nese more over. It got Hook more over. And somehow, in losing in 30 seconds, it got Danhausen more over. All in a very compact, what was this, like a three-minute segment here? Very short. Really well done. And also, I really like Danhausen's new song. You know, there's a lot of speculation. Okay, are they going to use like what the, you know, tequila? It's not tequila, but I would contend that it might be better. Um, Mikey Ruckus is always uh, killing it here. So this was great. Wardlow is brought out for the next segment. It is the contract signing. There are signs of Boo Wardlow flashing on the screen uh, for everybody. And the ring is all decorated with balloons for MJF. And then we go to the dark side of the ring, like title board. And I'm just, and it starts with on the next season of Dark Side of the Ring. And you've got Jericho voicing this. And they end up, it's Jericho doing his read and then stops asking, is this just for MJF? And they end up doing a mock Dark Side of the Ring trailer on the history of MJF and Wardlow with Taz and Barry Horowitz as your uh, on-camera interviewees. <laughs> no Jim Ross on this. And uh, <laughs> that was, I thought this was so well thought out and I thought this was hilarious. It came from out of nowhere. Like, I'm like, oh, is there, a, are they announcing a fourth season somehow on in the middle of Dynamite? I mean, the fact that uh, like Dark Side of the Ring was so in the news last week, like made this even more relevant. The fact that they did this now, um, whoever mm-hmm. came up with this, I thought this was like a really clever way to recap this feud. Well, if, if you remember last time MJF was in Long Island, they did that whole big video of him, like, you know, when the football jacket and, and all that. And it seems like it may, might be a running thing now where every time you have an NJF reappearance in his hometown, they go all out with some 
uh, no pun intended, with with some some video production. And I thought this week's was absolutely brilliant. It was a really excellent parody. You know, of course, having Jericho on staff helps, but the slow mo shots, uh, the interview shots looked exactly like they. I mean, close to almost an exact you know replica of what they did. The fonts looked exactly. So I'm sure um, uh, Evan Husney and, and Jason Eisner are are very happy. So the whole arena is chanting for MJF as his music plays. They go nuts for him. He's wearing an Islanders jersey as well. Just a complete baby face coming out here. And there is Wardlow in the ring at the end of the table. And MJF explains he will let him out of his contract if he beats him at double or nothing. But first, he wants to give Wardlow a chance to speak to the people here in Long Island. And he sarcastically tells the audience not to boo every time Wardlow goes to speak, because the last thing we would want to do is create the loudest boos in wrestling history. As he tells Wardlow, the floor is yours. And this crowd won't even let this guy get a word out. And then MJF says, screw him. He isn't going to speak. And he lays out the conditions stating that karma is going to get Wardlow for what he did to my best friend, Cody Rhodes. And then says, do you not want me to talk about 2024? Because neither does the guy in the back. And says the conditions for the match are that Wardlow will have to get whipped. But not once, not twice. And he goes all the way up to nine before handing it to Sean Spears, who puts up the ten. So Wardlow will have to be whipped 10 times and then wrestle Sean Spears in a steel cage match, which they note Wardlow is 0-2 in cage matches with MJF as the special referee. And then he will get the match with MJF. So there's a lot uh, that they got to cram into uh, two weeks here. But uh, we're going to do the lashings next week and then I guess the cage match the following week in probably in Vegas. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, um, a lot of activity in the next two weeks. And then if Wardlow loses a double or nothing, he will never be allowed to sign a contract with AEW. And they try to make him sign the contract with the handcuffs on. He is uncuffed, signs it, and then MJF calls him a coward. And that sets off Wardlow, who murders security. This might have been uh, the best the best indie security they have had to date because these guys just, I don't know if these were the, the create a pro uh, in indie security, but they were fantastic. These guys made this guy look like a monster inside of this ring. MJF is hiding behind Spears and Spears has a chair, but gets stopped and Wardlow just stares down MJF and he grabs him, teases the power bomb. They actually had this crowd getting excited that MJF was going to get power bombed, which I could not imagine that they would get this reaction for Wardlow, but it was so chaotic and MJF was about to get power bombed. And they saw this as a significant moment and Sterling jumps on the back, saving MJF who runs away. And then MJF and Spears just watch as Sterling gets put through the table. I thought the crafting and thought that went into this segment from the parody to the structure of it. Everyone got to cheer for MJF. By the end of it, you still had the desired reaction for Wardlow. Sterling as your sacrificial lamb, you got a power bomb. You teased but did not give away MJF getting uh, his getting his uh, physicality. I, I really was a big fan of this segment. I thought it was pretty much like pitch perfect. At this point in the show... I was thinking they were hitting home run after home run after home run. Um, and I was thinking, wow, this, this dynamite, like 
was fantastic is becoming fantastic might might is on course to be one of their best because i'm in total agreement um this i thought was almost a perfect segment here the way mjf is able to command a crowd this comparison has been made before but i i thought it really came across tonight i haven't seen somebody be, be able to be so comfortable so commanding so charismatic in front of an audience since the rock the way he's able to speak to this crowd as if they were one collective entity and, you know, direct them to some sort of weird psychology to be, you know, to, to, to get them to sarcastically not boo Wardlow and actually encouraging them to do so. I thought it was so incredible to watch. You know, of course we have guys like Punk who are great speakers, but for this type of cocky, jokey type of vibe, I haven't seen a better example of this style of promo since Dwayne. So it really was incredible. Uh, he had a lot of work to do in this segment. I mean, first of all, to feel this incredible energy from his hometown crowd and doing all of that, entertaining them. But also he had to, you know, convey the stipulations. I thought they were clearly laid out. They're entertainingly laid out. I love the 10 thing with Spears. Like this was really a segment and this is overall a wrestling product designed for people who have watched this stuff for a long time between the dark side of the ring to, you know, of course, we're having to recognize Sean Spears for his past gimmick. And of course the Tony Khan line um, that, you know, we'll probably get some people talking as well, probably spitting that into some sort of angle at some point. Um, and, and most importantly, the fact that as cool as MJF looked here, it didn't overshadow Wardlow as a babyface, and somehow they still made Wardlow look cool enough that this audience was cheering for him, and he looked like a badass by the end. So it really was amazing. I mean, again, this Long Island crowd felt like something special tonight, and they were able to, to, to create something special with them. The crowd was just eating out of the palm of this guy's hand, like finishing the catchphrases. I mean, it was, it's not a crazy comparison that you're making at all. Like he just was so over here. Um, the, the idea of this guy being a baby face is only solidified when you see uh, moments like this. And, you know, he already is in many places, in many places. And, you know, working in that 2024 line, you have to have the title on him by mid 2023. As you're getting to January 1st. You think, I think they're that, doing a summer of punk type of thing? I, th I think that's the way to go. Yes. I would, I would try and get the title on him sometime next year. And he's holding that title as the year is whittling down. So that would actually require behind the scenes a new contract to be signed prior to that, don't you think? Um, yeah. Or, I mean, like worst case, like, you, you know, you could work out, you know, it's. You know, it, to me, it would be it would be fascinating to see how that that would work. But I think for for ultimate for for maximum impact, uh, pardon the pun. Um, that's that's to me the angle is that he's got your leverage with this AEW championship, and this has been introduced on television when his contract is up. So we've got to play towards that. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, like the top two programs going into double or nothing between Paige and Punk and MJF and Wardlow, they're both in incredible shape right now. I think Punk and MJ, uh, Punk and Paige is the in ring, the match I'm looking forward to more. But at this point, I feel like MJF and Wardlow might be the better built program overall. It's going to be incredibly heated um, for mm -hmm. that match and how it's how it's structured and, and and where you go with it as well. Like it's it's been built tremendously well. I don't think the most optimistic viewer could have assumed Wardlow would take off to, to this extent. Like they have just uh, built this guy into, you know, a, just a monster baby face uh, yeah. in, in preparation for this. Like when he finally power bombs MJF, it should be a seismic moment for, for this guy's career. 
Samoa Joe is in the back and says about the Joker he's facing next week. I've only dealt with Joker since coming here. Fools and clowns like Sanjay Dutt. And then we're cutting back and forth with Lethal Dutt and Satnam Singh. And Dutt uh, speaks and says, your stomach is big, but your brain is small. And Joe is going to win the Owen Hart Cup and then come for all of them to settle things his way. So I guess the idea here was that some people might think that the Joker is going to be lethal or Dutt, and they're making it clear here it's not. And they're building next week as Wild Card Wednesday because we'll get both Jokers revealed. And that should be, I mean, I don't know what what games they'll be up against, but, you know, surprises tend to work um, when, when you're teasing them and you're going to have... All the speculation next week of who these jokers are going to be next week. And I, I, I like the idea of like really hyping it up for the next week. I do too. I, I was a little surprised that they would give both of them away on the same show. Cause I mean, you could theoretically save one for rampage or the next week, but yeah, just, you know, it might be one of those cases where maybe one is very satisfying from a real competitor's standpoint. And maybe another one is more of a, an expendable one. Cause you would figure Joe would be moving on. You figure Baker might also be moving on too. So, I mean, these are potentially people that are going to have to satisfy the surprise, but also be maybe low enough on the totem pole that they could take a loss. I don't know about Joe, because I could certainly see number one, whoever he, if he were to lose to someone, um, that sets up a future TV title match. And it could also get Joe to, towards lethal for the pay per view or, or in some, some incarnation that that's the program, uh, that you're building. So, um, yeah, we will see next week. You know, there's, you know, names that are being thrown out and speculated upon. And I think there's, you know, there's a few options you can play. Ricky Starks and Jungle Boy for the FTW Championship. Taz is on commentary. Starks is very over here as he came out. Uh, Jungle Boy does his multiple springboards into an arm drag. We go through the picture in picture. Uh, he blocks Rochambeau into an arm drag and then lands a super kick. And then a lariat off the ropes is stopped by a spear from Starks. Jungle Boy recovers, goes for the snare trap, and applies it. And Starks just claws his way to the rope and grabs it. Snaps Jungle Boy's neck on the top rope, and then he goes to the floor and grabs his championship, prompting Swerve Strickland to run down to stop Starks. And while the ref is dealing with Swerve, Jungle Boy gets a roll-up cover on Starks, but there's no referee to count. And then Starks gets out and is able to hit Rochambeau for the win in 10 minutes. And Swerve realized that in trying to help Jungle Boy... He cost him the match. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. G- good match. Technically great athleticism and a very fast pace from both men. I felt the crowd dipped a little bit here coming off of, you know, some incredibly hot segments with some big stars. I also they thought talk- they saw Starks as more of the baby face than they were into Jungle Boy here as well. You think so? Okay. I, I felt like it felt more into into Starks here, but I, I agree with you. Like, I, I didn't think this match like uh, blew anyone out of the water. Like it, it was all right. Um I, I feel like, you know, we're, we're talking about this is definitely a case where it's it might be one title too many in, in the case of the FTW title, because I, I mean, the Owen Cup means more at this point than the Owen, like the first round Owen Cup means more than the FTW title at this point. So they were they, they saw this as, as a little less important. I thought the finish itself was maybe a little contrived and cliche in a sports entertainment sense, but it, it, was, it needed to be done to set up a number of storylines after this, actually. Yeah, you had Luchasaurus and Christian come out and they just brush past Swerve and they get into an argument. Starks and Hobbs are on the floor prompting Keith Lee to come down to be with Swerve and Jungle Boy is not paying attention to any of these stare downs because he's just frustrated with the loss up against the rope and Christian walks up to him from behind 
and then just pats him on the back and hugs Jungle Boy. So they're, they're continuing to tease stuff with, with, with Christian of like the crowd kind of watching if he was going to attack Jungle Boy and, you know, swerving him. So that was yeah. that. I and thought it, I sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just saying it, it seems like they're they're setting all this up for some kind of like three way tag title program looks to be where they're going here. Perhaps. Yeah, seems like it. I'm I'm you know, it's it's. Everything that's been going on, kind of with with like um, Jungle Boy and, and Jurassic uh, and Christian, it's it's a little in the background, like because so much stuff overshadows it on this particular show. But slowly, like this Christian stuff, I think is is gaining some interest from me, mainly because they're doing it so subtly, mm-hmm. so slow, and so subtly, including tonight where. Obviously, we know what we're supposed to think coming off of it, but the way they do it is just like, you know, a step behind, I think, the obvious, where Christian just really doesn't do a whole lot more but walk in slowly, maybe gives a look, and you think it's happening tonight, but ultimately it's just a hug. But it's still, like, not so obvious that um, I think you would typically get in a, in a pro wrestling setting that I, I'm, I'm curious I'm I'm curious to 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 see when it happens and and how exactly they do it if they're doing it so slowly now. Then it was the Jericho Appreciation Society victory speech where they come out and they've got a podium in the ring and Parker and Menard take turns speaking and then Jericho says there are a lot of hometown heroes tonight in Long Island and he's one of them. He was born nearby in Manhasset, but then I left because this place is a dump. And he threatens to throw a fireball at some fan because I'm a wizard and tells Eddie Kingston to stay at home. Says Jericho 216 says, I just burned your face. And then Jericho. What's the significance of 216? I don't know. You know? I, I, I don't know. I know if my uh, chat room, what do you guys think 216 means? Let us know. Jericho says that Eddie Kingston needs to take care of his wife. And if she's not feeling okay, she can give me a call. And Daniel Garcia says that every time a sports entertainer takes on a wrestler, the sports entertainer always wins. And with that, John Moxley's music begins and out comes Moxley. And this was like the, uh, the Rubik's cube, just everything came together. And we're talking about who could the two people be for Kingston and Santana and Ortiz. And this, like, of course, this makes all the sense in the world. I don't know why we didn't think of it. Of course. It, These like, guys are friends. This is like a perfect solution, like just a perfect story. So Moxley comes out. Jericho tells him to walk around and leave or else be sent on another sabbatical. Danielson comes out with Regal and Yuta, but Jericho says there's still only four of you and five of us when Eddie Kingston, burn mark and all on his face, appears with Santana and Ortiz on the apron and the crowd chants, you fucked up. At the Jericho Appreciation Society, big brawl ensues. Kingston goes right for Jericho to choke him, and Hager breaks it. Regal brings Jericho to the floor, and Regal decks him with one punch, and the Jericho Appreciation Society retreat. And this this set up all these loose ends that it looks to be our 10-man tag for the pay-per-view. Yuta's gone, and Danielson and Moxley make perfect sense to be with Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Yes, he is gone because of the best of the super juniors, of course. So yeah, it ma- it makes a whole lot of sense here. I mean, um, of course, traditionally we have the stadium stampede at this point in uh, double or nothing, but this time I'm assuming maybe it's more of a traditional, 
maybe uh what, what do they call those like falls count anywhere types of uh tort- they maybe should just elimination be like, tag yeah this should be a thing. street fight or something this should not be some kind of gimmicky yeah. match just doesn't no. need to be the spectacle of seeing these 10 and the star power now that you have in there between Mox and Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson is more than enough to make this a very coveted match on the show. Uh, so, yeah, great way to care, pair uh, the BCC with Eddie Kingston and Proud and Powerful. And I'm looking forward to some of these specific interactions here between, you know, Brian and Garcia or like, you know, uh, uh, who are we talking about here? Um uh, Even even like Danielson and Kingston teaming together. I mean, I I hope we get a segment with like the five of them all together, like going into battle with with one another. And it's like all these diverse personalities. Yeah. Or or like, you know, uh, even Jericho and Brian, like when was the last time those two touched? Someone brought it up, actually. I I, I cannot remember where I saw it, but I I am curious if they bring up the, the past issue with uh santana and john moxley with each going after the other's eye remember when they did that during the jericho moxley uh title program you know i do i don't remember it so much at this point but you, you're and santana right. had the eye patch and then moxley was had that the eye patch. Yeah. oh okay then so. perfect i mean listen this whole story is about uh, taking each other's eyes out anyway so maybe they can share eye care tips well they are they are partners now so Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa, there was a feature here with comments from Jim Ross, Dustin Rhodes, and Shivani. And that was pretty much the extent of the, the women's title uh, mention for the pay-per-view on the show. The Owen Hart Cup continued with Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter. Uh, it began with a front chancery applied by Tony Storm, and then Hayter takes over, hitting a snap suplex on the floor, and Storm would sell her back throughout the match. Uh, they had dueling elbow strikes with both uh, down inside the ring, and then Storm hit this spinning DDT in the ring and a follow-up one to the floor. Hater then hits a backbreaker over her knee, uh, going back to the, the, the injured body part, but grabs her knee after hitting the backbreaker. Hater then hits a urinagi onto the edge of the apron. All her offense was around the back, and she hits a superplex, but then tries for one more. She tries to do the roll through into a follow-up vertical suplex, and Storm catches her with an inside cradle for two, and then there's a backslide rollout, and boom, hits her with Storm Zero and pins her out of nowhere in eight minutes and 34 seconds, and uh, Martha Hart gave this five stars. She looked, uh, She loved this. Is there a Martha Hart uh, star, star system now? I, I think it's going to develop. I think I think she should have a star system by double or nothing. That would be great. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, we, yeah. we talk about this being like the tough spot in the show sometimes, but uh, I, I think these are two of the better women in the entire division, and I, I thought they had a really entertaining match. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I, I almost wondered if my expectations were a little too high for it because like they're two of my f- favorite um, uh, wrestlers in the women's uh, division. And I almost felt like this would be the type of match that would you know steal the show almost. But it's incredibly difficult at the 9.30 slot. and Yeah, it did not steal the show. But I just thought, like, technically, this was, like, a really nice laid-out match, and I really didn't have any complaints about it. No, I have no complaints at all, too. You know, it carried the streak of, I think, some really quality stuff on this show. But... I mean, if I if I have to like, it was maybe towards the bottom of like, you know, I, this was a really hard show to compete with, you know, because it was really sandwiched between a lot of really incredible segments. So, uh, dude, uh, Excalibur, I can't believe he has to do these rundowns and then call another hour of programming after this with Rampage. But my God, what he had to promote here! I'm just looking at all the stuff here. So Rampage on Friday at 5:30 has Riho against Ruby Soho in the Owen Hart Cup. 
Scorpio Sky defends the TNT title against Kazarian, and we got a, a video of Scorpio Sky calling Kazarian a brother. The reunited Death Triangle takes on the Butcher, the Blade, and Mark Quinn. Sean Spears against Bear Boulder, and the Baddies will speak. Lexi Nair then interviews Kazarian, and he's interrupted by Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, who warn Kazarian that Scorpio Sky is not the same guy, and he'll stab you in the back. And Kazarian laughs, getting a lecture from Sammy Guevara about trust. And he and Guevara ends it by saying, SCU later. And Kazarian says, Hey, your vlog sucks. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know who Kazarian is? If you weren't a you're not a Ted Lasso viewer, are you? I've seen one episode, but sure. Kazarian why? like needs to be Roy Kent. That's who this guy needs to be. Like the old, like crotchety veteran. But he's he he's lovable. In a, in a certain sense. Well, he who just thinks everything sucks. Yes, but he's he's like the best character on the show. He's even better than Ted Lasso, in my opinion. Mm, that might be okay. a controversial take, but it's the truth. Uh, then we get the announcement for the buy-in match with, uh, with Hookhausen. And then Dynamite next week. Are you ready for this? Jericho and Regal will have a face-to-face confrontation. Kyle O'Reilly against Ray Phoenix in the Owen Hart Cup. Britt Baker against the Joker. Samoa Joe against the Joker. <laughs> Hangman Page against Konosuke Takeshita. <laughs> just cuz. Mm-hmm. Let's just do this. Mm-hmm. Wardlow will receive his 10 lashes and then Adam Cole against the winner, the winner of Jeff Hardy or Darby Allen in the Owen Hart Cup in Houston. Okay. Even as you repeated that, it's just like it's kind of one in one ear out the other. It's it's just why don't why doesn't he keep going and tell me the rest of the month? Every match for the rest of the month. He plugged 12 things for these next two shows, plus a 13th uh, element with the double or nothing plug here for the tag match. At this point, I think it's just like, you know, they're, they're just doing it to test Excalibur. Like just, I think for our entertainment, just to see like how many things he could fit in. Can he break hey, his record? What is it? 12 right now? Can he go th- 15? Hey, Excalibur, we, we really want to put more emphasis on dark. So we're going to plug it every, every week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Both shows. <laughs> yeah. And then ROH in there. Like, please plug Road 2. Every segment on uh, BTE. We need you to, to in the video game. Everything. And don't forget, Wheeler Yuta is going to be in the best of the Super Juniors. It's going to be 13 shows, and I'm going to take you through every tournament match. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, so our main event. They had like 10 minutes, um, and they crammed about 30 minutes worth into it. Jeff Hardy, accompanied by Matt, taking on Darby Allen, who had Sting in his corner. It's an anything goes, let's get psychotic because we're stuntman match. Darby starts things off with a running drop kicks and his crazy tope to the floor just kills Jeff. And then he brings out eight chairs and sets them up. He unfolds them and places onto the floor. At that point, I noted somebody will die here. There's a flapjack to Darby on the steps, and then Jeff hits a flying clothesline off the steps and goes for a twist of fate off of them, but gets stopped, and Hardy's run into the post, and then Jeff Hardy brings out the world's largest ladder, which sends us to picture-in-picture. This was the most (laughs) frightening picture-in-picture, as Jeff is setting up this ladder, and he is climbing to the top, and I'm just, please do not jump during the picture-in-picture. Can we please get someone at ringside to inform this man not to do this? Um Darby stops him on the ladder as they come back from break and he is placed. He places Jeff onto the, st- the eight chairs on the floor. The ladder is still set up. So of course we are going to get uh, Darby climbing up said ladder. This is in the ring. So we're adding even more height to this thing. 
and I'm just watching. And nine times out of 10, you would think, okay, he's going to get cut off here. There's no way. It's Darby Allen, which means 10 times out of 10, you know the worst is about to happen. And he jumps off this gigantic ladder for a swanton coming down on these eight chairs. This was among the craziest things I have seen. No more words. That's what I said. No more words for this. We found somebody crazier than Jeff Hardy when he was younger. Because this is this is truly like, you know, a, a dream match between two very similar personalities because we've seen an evolved version of Jeff Hardy and his name is Darby Allen. Somebody who just gets up there and has zero hesitation about putting his body through unthinkable acts. Uh, it it was spectacular. It also I have a canker sore, John, and it's been bugging me like for like three days. Those are the worst. I, <laughs> yeah. So. Listen, I know pain, okay? And it just like gave me that feeling throughout my entire body uh, times a million because I can't imagine what he's feeling right now. You know, we talked about it off the top. I mean, it's the type of thing, it's the type of thing that is so dangerous, so crazy that it makes me concerned. It's it's too much for me. And if you want to like roll your eyes at that, that that's fine. But it's like, this is not what I, I watch pro wrestling for where I'm just hoping the guy gets up. Okay. Uh, from it. And I just think, man, we're, we're really pushing the bar to, to such a level that, uh, one of these times someone is not going to get up from this. And, and then we're going to have this whole moratorium on, you know, the, the state of the, these dangerous spots. And I just like th- th- this was exceptionally frightening to, to watch. So. We move on from there, and Darby sets him up for a coffin drop in the ring, but Hardy rolls to the edge of the apron. Darby goes for it anyway, missing the coffin drop on the edge of the apron, and Darby is placed on the stairs on the floor as Jeff Hardy goes for a swanton from the top, missing Darby and crashing onto the steps with his back. Hardy is rolled into the ring. Darby hits the coffin drop. One, two, backslide, and pins Darby in 10 minutes and 17 seconds. I'll tell you where my head was going watching this match when he hits the Swanton onto the stairs. I'm thinking, well, of course Darby's winning this because there's no goddamn way Jeff Hardy can do a match in seven days. That was my thinking. Uh, but they, <laughs> they got me. They got me. And Jeff won. Is it, this is the way Cody beat him too, right? With the, uh, with the backslide off the coffin drop? Uh, beat who? Uh, when, Darby? When Cody beat Darby before, uh, during... You think my memory is that good, John? I'm wow. not you, man. I can't remember what happened last week. Well, I, I think they are trying to establish, like, this is a um, uh, an Achilles heel for, for Darby, a counter to the uh, the coffin drop. But Jeff Hardy wins. I was semi-surprised at this outcome. And it will be Jeff Hardy against Adam Cole next week. Uh, Darby and Jeff shook hands, and then Undisputed Elite walked out on the stage to end the show and i would think next week uh we'll probably have an idea if they are going to go with the young bucks and the hardys as they've been teasing it would make sense i think most assume adam cole's going to the finals and the bucks can get involved somehow in this and it segues them with the hardys when we look at what is a pay-per-view caliber match potential for the bucks or for the hardys i mean i think it's pretty obvious you know unless you want to throw red dragon in there um to, to 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 make it a three-way perhaps but I think at the very least, you know, the T's at the end here seem to indicate or or eight man. If you made like Darby and Sting with the Hardys, um, that that could be the only. And, and again, I think you can get away with the Bucks and Hardys. I think that sells itself. But you also want maybe need to find roles for for others as well. I could 
you, you could do an eight man if you wanted and get Red Dragon on one side and Sting and Darby on the other. Who 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 does the craziest spot in that match? Oh, I mean, uh, at this point, it'll still have to be Sting. He's the barometer. Sting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, spectacular main event. Um, one that I thought they built up to pretty well throughout the show. You know, they, they, they were putting it over as like one of the best matches in Dynamite history at the end, and I like when they do that because you get a sea of uh, unbelievable matches, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's uh, you, you forget about Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen because you get so many uh, in in such a uh, a weekly fashion. But um, this was a pretty spectacular episode, and a big part of it way was. They understood what kind of crowd they were going to get. They have built up a hometown star. It's like reason number 105 to build that person up and give the crowd, like, let them react the way they're going to. Let's not fight them. And it made for a really special reaction from this audience. And the whole show, I think, benefited from that, um, along with some, like, really great um, segments that they they planned and, and matches, too. I thought this was one of the best dynamites in recent memory. Uh, again, my memory is not the best, so I'm going to have to really, you know, re- resort to other people's lists. But I thought top to bottom, there were tremendous segments from the opening match to what they did with the uh, punk and page to what they did with, um, uh, you know, MJF and Wardlow, which might have been the highlight, you know, considering this was a Long Island. But, uh, and then maybe the main event, I have to say, might have been the highlight. Um, it was one of those shows where I thought every, every segment killed it. Yeah, and I think if, if if you just take a step back and look at this as a building tool for double double or nothing, like that pay per view is shaping up to it feels very big uh, thus mm-hmm. far of like where all these programs are coming together. So uh, a thumbs up edition of Dynamite, no question. Yes, thumbs way up. But more importantly, what did you guys think? You guys can, as always, if you're a patron, leave a comment at forum.postwrestling.com after every edition of Raw, Dynamite, uh, SmackDown, Rampage, of course, for which we do reviews every Friday night on postwrestlingcafe.com. But tonight, we're here to talk about Rampage, and let's start here off. I'll, I'll start, John, with Johnny, who says, this episode has to be in the conversation of Top 10 Dynamites. That opening match was fantastic. With every match, Dax is pushing for Wrestler of the Year. Wow. Is he at that level, John? Uh, it's a tough race. I'll say Tomohiro Ishii is making a solid campaign at uh, at 46 years of age. Um, for for the, me, the fact right. that I mean, even some somebody one person considers him in contention says a whole lot about you know how much he's grown uh, as a singles wrestler this year. I mean, just look at the the match like between him and Cash. The like when you put in like what they did in April with uh, the Briscoes, the Young Bucks their own singles match. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can add this one to the list. This is a fantastic match that they had tonight. It's, it's an incredible run that the two are on. He says, and that finish might be my finish of the year. Hook has and lives storm versus hater was phenomenal. And I would love to see another match between these two. My friend actually called BCC helping Kingston out because it sets up wrestler versus sports entertainers. And that main event, it wasn't the prettiest, but it was the most insane match from both of these guys. Question, JAS versus BCC. Is it a blood and guts match? Do you do it on a pay-per-view and make it or make it a special dynamite? Okay, yeah, so that's right. You know, we've we've talked about Stadium Stampede and maybe the likelihood that they're probably not going to do that without with a full crowd. What about uh, blood and guts? I don't know if you'd want to. I would save that. I don't know if this pay-per-view needs blood and guts, but this has certainly been built up to a way that it, it, it warrants something of that magnitude, like to... The like double ring is my hesitation, you know. That's for, right. For that that's right. Up. You've got the double ring. Like, I, I don't think um, this is probably happening at the pay-per-view. And I, I do expect the match to happen at the pay-per-view. 
Yeah, maybe you get the straight up match first, and then that somehow leads to blood and gut on TV. Yeah, you could keep this going because, you know, you have just introduced Moxley and Danielson to this mix. I can't imagine that you just end this after two weeks that you could keep this going um, with many, many iterations. You've got 10 parts here uh, that you can mix and match and go back to blood and guts. You know, maybe that's something big you do. I'm trying to think like you want to have something big at the forum, but that's the Wednesday coming out of the pay-per-view. But you, you have lots of big shows in the, in the next while that you could, uh, you know, save blood and guts for sometime you need it in the, in the summer or at, at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next up, we go to Brian. Unbelievable episode. Every match had something to offer, but I love the contract signing with MJF again, showing how much of a star he is and how well, well Wardlow uh, can be in this role. Kingston, Santana and Ortiz uniting with the Blackpool Combat Club against the Jericho Appreciation Society was fantastic as well. With attention paid at first to the history Moxley has with both Kingston and Jericho, I'm also enjoying the build to Page and Punk. My Joker predictions for next week, Claudio Castagnoli and Maki Ito. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay. Maki Ito, I think, would work. would be a good way to return. And, I mean, she's somebody who could afford a loss. Claudio Castagnoli, I mean, I think would have to go on to win and... That'd be uh, great. Like you yeah. could do that, and you could go back to a TV title match down the road with, with Joe. Um, I, I, if it was Claudio, I, I agree. I think he has to win that match, and you've kind of set it up where Joe he can take a loss in in this tournament. Mm-hmm. We got a uh, uh, Eric from Barry who says, "Excellent show. My match of the night was Tony Storm and Jamie Hader. Yeah, okay, interesting. There you go. Took the crowd a bit, but they seem to have got into it. That spike pile driver at the end looked brutal." Part of me wishes they kept Hook away from Danhausen and kept him on a serious run. Despite this, I still find it entertaining, and it will lead to a great heel run for Hook. A heel run for Hook. All right. Uh, next is Patrick, who writes, Pretty wild show from top to bottom, with every match feeling like it deserved its spot on the show, and every segment feeling important. All three Owen matches delivered in different ways, and I think Tony continues to shine in AEW uh, from her matches on Dynamite, referring to Tony Storm. Um, the main event was insane, and while some may cringe at the spots, I don't think Darby versus Jeff in a regular wrestling match would have been as special. The dark side of the ring parody gave off big vibes from the Cody Jericho feud from the early days of AEW in the best way, and this MJF Wardlow program is firing on all cylinders. I'm also assuming we're getting five on five at double or nothing with Jericho Appreciation Society and uh, Danielson, Moxley, Santana, Ortiz, and Eddie. With the men's Joker being confirmed to not be lethal or Satnam Singh, any guesses as to who it will be? Cesaro, Miro, or a new Japan talent seem to be the favorites. Could be anybody. Could be... um. Hmm. The new Japan idea hasn't really been thrown out there, but it does like line up with uh, several new Japan stars that are coming over for capital collision on the weekend and are not on the best of the super juniors tour. So you could certainly have uh, a new Japan guy stick around and, and do dynamite next week, even if it's not in the tournament, like they in theory uh, could be available. Yeah. Who? Uh, well, it, 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 it would not be Okada or, just getting thrown in there. Um, but you uh, have, I mean, Ujiro. Uh, Yujiro isn't coming over for that. Tanahashi's coming over. Who's the biggest joker? No, it's got to be Taguchi. He's uh, hilarious. Oh, no, it's got to be Ano then. Uh, let, let, let me just look at who who is coming over here from uh, uh, of note. So you've got uh, Okada, Jay White, Tomohiro Ishii, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Osprey and Juice Robinson against Tanahashi and Moxley. 
There's a fair bit here. I, I personally, I, I really like the Cesaro option. I know Miro's out there too. Like that's a that's a fine way to reintroduce yeah. him. But I I think Cesaro is, would be um, that'd be a great debut for him to come in and win. Mm-hmm. All right, we got a Joma who says I thought the matches were a bit slow outside of the main event. I think the lack of tag matches made <laughs> this guy is just a uh, just wants uh, carnage. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe. Uh, he says, I think the lack of tag matches made things feel slower than usual, but it looks like I'm in the minority on that one. From the way they dress to even the way they stand, the Jericho Appreciation Society are just pure douche. I love it. Good to see Regal get some revenge for Jericho peeing in his tea. There's nothing I could say that can enhance how amazing that MJF Dark Side of the Ring was. I just want to petition for making Sean Spears MJF's permanent second like Arn to Rick. Those two are gold together. They are very good together, yes. Jay from Colorado, catching up late because I've rewatched the Dark Side of the Ring parody five times. The entire show has been excellent, but damn, that segment was really good. Bringing in Barry Horowitz was the icing on the cake. Fantastic lead-in to the contract signing. We go to Muggin, who says, In terms of atmosphere, Long Island is officially the Canada of New York as the city brought the thunder, and they know how to hold grudges. Punk wearing an Islanders jersey with no music in his entrance was brilliant. Cole Harwood was a great opener. Storm Hater as well. The Dark Side of the Ring parody was amusing as the Wardlow Friedman saga puts the former where Cody was a little over two years ago. The Jericho 269 was pretty weak, but the BCC and Proud and Powerful collaboration was anything but. All right. And the last one is from Kate in Montreal. An outstanding two hours, especially the first, which was one of the best 60 minute blocks of wrestling television in years. The Long Island crowds are awesome, even by AEW standards, because they understand full well that they are there to play a role that exists nowhere else. The Dark Side of the Ring parody was one of my favorite segments ever. The attention to detail was remarkable, and I could not stop laughing. They did a very uh, a tremendous job with that. And parody can be very difficult uh, sometimes. Like you have to really nail it. And I thought they did in that instance. You have to know your audience too. And this certain, I mean, it's, it, to me, it shows you how, how much of an impact Dark Side of the Ring has had to the hardcore audience to the point where now they do something like that and everybody gets it. And the music as well was really perfect too for, for that particular thing. Um, I believe we had one super chat that I might have missed earlier. So if you just give me a second here. I should be able to scroll up. Okay. All right. Here we go. From DJ Depression, who sends $5. Thank you for the super chat, DJ. He says, do you think it's a little irresponsible of AEW to have okayed that Darby spot? Darby is one of my favorites, but somebody should have told him no. I mean, you, you can you can argue about like how, how far you let these guys go. And, you know, they like th- there seem to be very, very few limitations on how far it goes. Like these are... You know, it's that that's the balance of what you're doing. And when you're booking a match like this, this is the kind of ideas that are going to be presented. And yeah, you have to really kind of uh, assess like the danger versus the value of uh, a spot like that, that you're off by just the slightest a bit. And, you know, he comes down on what one of the backs of those chairs or something or just lands it as is. I mean, that's still falling from an incredible height, but. Uh, unfortunately, the bar has been raised very high, and I, I I don't see them necessarily pulling back. Yeah, I mean, the expectation was for them to do something crazy tonight. Um, they did. They both did. They they both did more than uh, lived up to to that expectation. I think at this point, you you know, if you're Tony Khan, you have a certain level of trust for your performers to take care of themselves, and um, they you know he was probably he was probably like. 
on the edge of his seat, like hoping that he wasn't about to have a disaster on his hands on TV too. And I would love to know what the conversation was with, you know, between Tony and Darby backstage. I'm sure it was a lot of gratitude, but is there also concern? Because I think we all know the stories of like, you know, TLC and like Vince McMahon, uh, you know, like obviously ha- very happy about the outcome, but also being incredibly concerned about the uh, the, the, the Hell in a Cell, you know, and, and like what we know Vince said to, to Foley after afterwards, like a lot of concern for their performance. Because as much as as much as I think we appreciate the spectacle, the potential disaster that could take place on TV is not worth any of that. So, um, I, you know, we, we have to continue to, to ask these questions, but. Yeah, maybe, you know, like, thankfully, they both seem to walk away pretty well tonight. Uh, we have one more piece of feedback here from Hanzi, who says, Sheeta injured on Rampage out of tourney, apparently. So this is something that they discussed. They brought up on commentary tonight, and they mentioned, yeah, an injury to Sheeta, and she could be out of the, the tournament. So that was that was actually mentioned on, on the broadcast that we, uh, we glossed. But we don't know for sure yet at this point? I guess not, because um, the way I understood it, it was um, they didn't say it definitively. Yeah. So unless uh, Hansi, you got some more updated information than we did. Yeah. Um, at the start of the Jamie Hader Tony Storm uh, match, this is from John Cena's report. Commentary mentions how Akar Rashida's injury could take her out of the tournament, but we will find out more about that soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so- uh, and that might be legit. Like they may not know what uh, what her status is. So we will uh, uh, keep people updated on that as well. Okay, that's going to bring an end to Rewind to Dynamite, a pretty noteworthy edition of the show. Uh, but Way will be back on Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern time with Kate from Montreal to go through all the latest news, uh, plenty going on. And then Thursday as well, the British Wrestling Experience is going to be dropping with Benno, Andy Ogden, and Martin Bushby going through all the latest uh, wrestling news from the British wrestling scene. Uh, Benno just went to the For the Love of Wrestling convention, so he will provide a live correspondent report of his uh, his trip to that convention and much more uh, coming up on Thursday. And then I will be back on Friday for the new show and rewind to SmackDown at a special start time of 10 p.m. Eastern as we go through SmackDown and uh, AEW Afternoon Rampage. D- sure. Early evening Rampage. Uh, ramp- uh, rampage for supper. Perfect. What a, what a perfect mix uh, to, to have. So <laughs> Way loves eating while writing notes for AEW. It's a it's a perfect combination. How did dinner go tonight? Well, not very good with this canker sore. So I mean, Ooh. I I didn't make that mistake, and I did try to eat before cold foods. Um, no nothing acidic. Do you, yeah. do you use uh, uh salt and warm water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the worst. It's, it's dude. Terrible. I would seriously consider doing the Darby Allen bump before I'd accept the canker sore. They are the goddamn worst <laughs> things the worst. in the world. They're the uh, worst. Yes, please. Okay, uh, forget well, Darby Allen, everybody. Please, I'm you know. Way is send your one, thoughts to me. Yes, uh, keep keep way uh, in your thoughts. <laughs> That's going to wrap things up, everybody. Uh, you can go to postwrestling.com. Subscribe to the channel here. It gets the the word circulating, and then all of a sudden, people are realizing who the hell are these guys? Well, that's you, the messengers out there. That is it for us. Thanks for watching. Rewind to Dynamite.